Welcome all. Uh, you guys look, you look good. A couple of you look extra good. Are those guys out here, they didn't bolt for home. Uh, I would have maybe if... Uh, um, we are finishing up, as you saw from the, the trailer there, this long series we've been in that we hope will be like an ongoing resource if you find skepticism in yourself or in your friends or in your coworkers or whatever. We hope that this, this series we've been in where we've been asking if the world is being held by someone, uh, we hope it'll be an ongoing gift uh, to the church and to our community. When next week we start a brand new series about normal people. And uh, I think, I just want to give away that I think we're either going to decide none of us is or all of us are. I'm not sure which way it's going to go. Uh, but I, I think that's, that's where we're headed with that is what does it mean to be normal? Maybe it's all of us or maybe if it's none of us. And that should, that should free us up uh, as we head into July. So we hope you'll join us for that. If you're just kind of stepping back into coming live, uh, we want to make sure you know uh, during COVID, we kind of made a switch with offering so that if you want to practice generosity, you can do it on the PushPay app. Uh, or if I sometimes every once in a while still like to write checks and stuff because it feels like I'm like chiseling in the stone. Uh, it feels more real sometimes if you're still the kind of person who likes to give in that way. Uh, you can do that out in the lobby at the welcome counter and they'll help you uh, give gifts if you want to support the church. Uh, in those ways. We're glad that you're here with us uh, for this last, this finale of the, the, the series as we consider beauty. I have to say this is a topic that I care a lot about, which means I'm going to just say a bunch of stuff and hope that some of it is meaningful to any, anybody else in the room. It's stuff I care about deeply. I want to start with a story that I've told here before, but it's a, a picture that I want to, ha to be in our minds this morning. And so I'm just going to tell it one more time. Uh, I went to school down in Tennessee and we had this big program called the Humanities. And I don't know if other colleges do this, but the way that we did it is it was this big course that you took for two years and it was literature and art and history and philosophy all kind of wrapped into one course. And it was a big deal for your grades because it was a whole bunch of hours and a whole lot of effort. And so when it was humanities exam time, basically the whole campus would shut down. Everybody would study for these humanities exams. And every exam had an essay question. And you would get these blue books. I think that's a pretty unit. Like, remember, you guys remember paper? It was these blue books. You have to explain the more you guys notice, the more you tell stories, the more you have to explain them these days. So you had this, this paper stuff you had to write on. And the idea of the essay question was to just pour everything you knew into it. Just every date and name and thing you could remember, you poured into this essay question, hoping you would get points. And so people would sit for an hour just trying to throw out every little thing they could remember from studying. But there was this legend around campus that years ago, the humanities exam had been given, everybody was holding their blue book, and the big giant question was, what is romanticism? And the legend, romanticism, I, I think it's been a long time since I took the test, but it's like this era where it was like all about beautiful things. And the legend was that some guy went out, instead of sitting there and writing all the dates and names and stuff, he went out, picked an autumn leaf off a tree, put it in the blue book, and handed it in. And that he got an A for that. And part of the, the staff kind of, path, the faculty passing on that story was that can never work again. Don't ever do that again. Uh, but also was to kind of capture our imagination 
with what the purpose of an education is, right? And I just want us to have that picture. It stayed with me all these years because I think it's a, a beautiful picture of what it means to be a, a person who's trying to follow Jesus. That there is value to being somebody who can name the dates and the place. And part of this series has been about being people who are curious and well-researched and know the story and know the facts and understand the conversation. But at the end of the day, we want to be the, the leaf in the exam book, that we want our life to be the thing that is the answer to people's questions, that we want to be the evidence that there is a God who holds the world because we ourselves are being held and changed and rearranged by the God of the universe. So I just want us to have that picture in our head as we go through this morning together. Now, you may have noticed we're going to celebrate communion here in a little bit. Uh, This service is really kind of like a dinner party because we're going to have communion, but also I'm going to show you a slideshow from my vacations. So... uh, (laughs) We're just going to do like a phone tour of beauty through my phone. And I'm going to show you a few things because I don't know if you use it that way, but I use my phone to just pay attention to the world sometimes to like to not lose beauty. So I want to start with some things we all know about beauty that we're going to see through the pictures uh, in my phone. First up is a place called Beauty Spot. If you're going to start with beauty, start with Beauty Spot. This is in East Tennessee. It's a super easy hike after a very hard, long drive. Uh, But you get up to this spot and you can see for miles. And obviously, like a lot of beautiful things, your phone can't quite capture it. Uh, But this is Beauty Spot. Now, the thing about Beauty Spot is that the reason you can see so far is that they regularly have maintenance fires up on top of the mountain up there. And so this is a, last time we were up there in the spring, there was a burnt tree and there was whole rows of burnt trees, right? Because I think we all know about beauty, uh, that mountains and stuff, creation is one of our first thoughts of beauty. But one of the ways that it becomes beautiful is sometimes through fire, right? I think we know that some of the most beautiful things are sometimes also the things that wrench us, that are heartbreaking, that burn us. Uh, Next up, a lot of times when we think of beauty, we think of artists. This is one of my favorite things I got to see in the last few years was the Chagall windows uh, in Chicago at the Art Institute. It would take up almost the whole back wall of our stage uh, if I could have, you know, paid a million dollars and brought it to you, but I just have my cheap iPhone photo. Uh, And that's just a portion of it. What I loved about standing there is that I had never seen that blue before, right? That sometimes art introduces like a whole new element uh, to the world. Uh, Next up is uh, Serena Williams serve, uh, which if you've ever tried to serve in tennis, you maybe have an even greater appreciation of why her smooth motion is maybe one of the most beautiful things in sports. Uh, And to see it, if you ever go down to that Mason tennis tournament, every person you watch play, it's like you see it on TV, but then when you're there, like that ball goes so fast. And uh, if you're watching any of the Olympic trials, you see these people do extraordinary things. One of the things about beauty is that it it makes space. It expands what we think is possible. So I have my serve at the playground, and then I see her serve, and I see, oh, that's what's possible for other people. Uh, This is another thing that expanded what people thought was possible is the Brooklyn Bridge. And maybe you know this about the Brooklyn Bridge, that it was designed by John Roebling, who also did the Roebling Bridge down in Cincinnati. And in the early days of the Brooklyn Bridge, it's also like a piece of art. If you've ever been there, it feels beautiful. It's so much more than just functional. But in the early days of the Brooklyn Bridge, the people didn't believe that it would hold them. And so they had to send elephants across uh, just to prove to people uh, that the bridge uh, would hold them and that they were safe on the Brooklyn Bridge. Last time I went to New York, I remember just thinking, 
The thing about beauty is that you can just admire it for what it is, or you can admire the humans who make it. I remember looking at all the buildings of New York, and I could stop there at appreciating like, the beauty and the genius of people. But what I think it means to be a person of faith is that we say, oh, we, we worship the God who put that in the hearts and brains of people. And, it, and it's kind of stunning to see a city that way. Uh, speaking of cities, most cities have contemporary art museums where you get to see stuff like this. Uh, this is uh, an exhibit I got to see down in Cincinnati. That was those are not real clowns, uh, I, or at least I didn't I didn't pinch any of them to see. But as far as I know, they are just stuffed dummies posed to look kind of sad, and I had nightmares for weeks. Um, <laughs> but it was it had a certain beauty had a certain beauty to it. Uh, this was also a weekend in Cincinnati. I don't know if anybody went down there for the Blink Festival where they did these light installations all over the city. And so they have all these murals on the buildings down there and they lit them up. This was just an alley uh, that usually has filled with garbage and stuff. But on this night, it was lit up with these super cool neon umbrellas. Uh, what I loved about it is that on Monday morning, all the art installations were gone. And yet the, the like, space was transformed because it had been so beautiful over the weekend. It was kind of this idea, right? Beauty is fleeting. Uh, we know that uh, from the world around us and the mirror and stuff. Um, next up, I think, we know that beauty has like a whole, some beauty has like a whole system around it. When something is beautiful, we want to frame it. We place a value on it. Sometimes we like put security around it. This is as close as I could get uh, to Starry Night. Uh, by Van Gogh, and it took a few elbows to get this picture, uh, but right, sometimes this is what we do with beauty, right? We have to, we put it in a place and we keep it safe and we guard it, we protect it, and we, we assign a value to it. Uh, then there's other art, there's other beauty that's just out and about, and you can find it on the street in the East Village. Uh, this is Wu-Tang Care Bear. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if this strikes any chords in this crowd, but it's, it's a thing of beauty. This is clearly a, a representation of something called the Medici effect, which is when you take two things that don't seem like they go together and you just see if they can make something beautiful. It's also how we get babies and stuff. This is the Medici effect. Uh, this is, but the Wu-Tang Care Bear uh, is a thing of beauty. Uh, also, on one of my uh, trips to Newark, I got to see a guy named St. Vincent and the Love Choir. And I don't know, beauty is also a thing we hear sometimes, right? It's, it's violins, it's music, it's a symphony. This is a guy who plays, I don't know what you would even call the music, like blues, jazz, soul music that he and his crew play every Monday night at a dirty bar in Brooklyn, one of the most beautiful things I've ever uh, got to be a part of. And I think we have one more really beautiful picture, if we can just pull up that work of art. Uh, that's just my dog. <laughs> um, he's just really beautiful. And, uh, but it, I think we also know if you saw him in the lobby later, he will bark your head off. So he's not always that cute. Um, there was a study out a few years ago about dogs and about how they do this magical thing where like when they need food, have you ever noticed how dogs, like their eyes get bigger and they get just a little bit cuter? when they want your food. And, and the scientists have figured out, they kind of take the magic away from this stuff sometimes. They figured out that that's like a survival move that dogs have built over the years is that the cuter they were, the more likely they would be to get food uh, from the, the things walking around on two legs. And so sometimes science like takes beauty and just wrecks it, but uh, he's holding on there, still looking 
uh, beautiful. I would encourage you, if you get a chance, you know, go through your own phone, look for the beautiful things. Uh, if you're sitting around at lunch or whatever, just talk, ask that question. What are, what are some of the most beautiful things you've seen? Uh, we've been doing this thing with our City Lights North team uh, just called Cups and Questions, where we just get on porches and drink things out of cups and we ask questions. It's very uh, creatively titled Cups and Questions. And uh, the other night we met together and uh, we talked about who's flying the UFOs, really deep theological stuff. Uh, but I asked them also, just what's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? And, and I loved the answers. Some of them were the things that you might say, right? The mountains and rivers, and especially if you go to a place like Colorado where it just holds all this majestic beauty. We had some kids around the circle who said butterflies are the most beautiful thing uh, they've ever seen. Some of our answers to beauty are more emotional, some people said, you know, when you've been away on vacation and you're driving up 75 and you see that cut in the hill when Cincinnati just pops up out of the terrain and you know you just have like two more traffic jams uh, before you're home and that can be a thing of beauty. Maybe it's your own front yard. Uh, Mike Group, I think, said it's, it's seeing the shoulders of his kids in a crowd is sometimes the most beautiful thing, right? If you're walking through a crowd and all of a sudden you see someone you know and love, that can be the most beautiful thing. Or when you watch your kids like figure something out about how the world works, sometimes that's the most beautiful thing. And somebody said, uh, redemption pictures, like any picture we see where something has been restored. Uh, there was a lot of this stuff around graduation season, uh, stories of people who had been addicted and who were now graduated, right? A lot of times they'd have a side-by-side -side of like somebody who was strung out on opioids, but now they were getting their college diploma. And just the before and the after of that transformation, those are, those are beautiful pictures. And I hope we'll, we'll have those maybe in our mind as we see them. There are some things, again, that we know about beauty. One of the things we know about is that it, it's relative. Uh, we have this phrase we say about how it's in, it's in the eye of the beholder. Uh, one of the things that I do with my phone is I also try to capture beautiful words. Uh, one of my favorite uh, poems is by a guy named David White. And the first couple lines say, uh, when your eyes are tired, the whole world is tired also, right? There's something about just having tired eyes where the world looks tired. But if we suddenly could kind of shift and put different lens on our eyes, maybe the world would get a little more beautiful. What I love about this weekend's topic is that when we think about beauty, science has a certain number of answers, right? The, the scientists and people who study beauty, they can tell us certain things. Like they could tell us the history of architecture, like why at some point, like in OTR, they decided to not just build functional buildings, but to add bay windows and all these like flourishes and then color, right? Why did we decide to make more buildings more beautiful than they need to be to just hold us, right? They could, you could study fashion and like decide how beauty changes and how what we think is beautiful shifts. You could study like attraction in people, why we think certain things are more beautiful than other things in other people. You can study this stuff. When it comes to the very first works of beauty, the cave paintings, scientists can tell you all kinds of things about the materials that they used and they could date the things and they could tell you about what they were meant to communicate, but they cannot for the love of anything, they cannot tell you why. Why did people feel compelled to make the cave a little more beautiful than it was yesterday? Why did people feel compelled to record the moment they were in, to, to tell a story, to capture the moment? Why did they feel compelled at any moment in the history of humanity? Why did we decide to dance? 
There's nothing that helps us survive there, right? Why did we decide to make the world more beautiful than it needs to be? Why did we decide to make music, to tell stories? Why did we decide that we need a camera, that we needed to capture what we were seeing? And as people of faith, we do have beautiful answers to that question of why. And I want us to just sit with those today. One of the easiest answers that we could give is just the grace of God. The world is more beautiful than it needs to be. John Calvin called this beauty beyond necessity. Uh, Levi got into this a little bit last week, right? The world is just more beautiful than it needs to be because God is a gracious God who could have just made all food taste like paper, but instead we have grilled cheese s'mores donuts, right, that you could get at Tom and Cheese if you really craved some fat today. Uh, You could go down there and get that, right? It is beautiful beyond what it needs to be, right? That the world is full of color. This is why it's, it's not the goal to be colorblind. The goal is to see color as a beautiful thing, right? To see it as beautiful and to make our eyes see that. The world is more beautiful than it needs to be because God is gracious. And why do we follow that impulse to create? Why do we paint on the walls of our caves? Why do we dance? Why do we sing? Why do we tell stories? Why do we try to make stuff? One answer is that we are following the impulse. We are echoing our God who is a creator, that that impulse is in us, has an echo of what is in God. The other idea is that beauty is a teacher. Consider the lilies, Jesus said. Paul says the reason the Gentiles know that a God might be in the sky is because they've seen the sky and they've seen the mountains and the rivers and how could you not look at that and think that something must be holding this place? Our scripture for this weekend is Psalm 8. And it really captures this big idea that's in the wisdom literature of the Bible. Uh, in Psalms and Proverbs and Job, uh, in all these, these, the poetic, beautiful books in the middle of the Bible, uh, there is this idea that it is by wisdom the world was made, as it says in Proverbs 3. And the language there, sometimes it's ruach, Sometimes it's Sophia, the Spirit of God. It's the same language for the Holy Spirit that we see that is present at creation, hovering over the waters. It's the same Spirit that is supposed to infuse people and infuse the church that produces gifts and fruits in us. And there's this big idea. It's a weird thing because when it comes to the Trinity, right, we believe there's God the Creator. We get that sort of. We believe in Jesus as this God who came close. But this Spirit is the thing that's hardest to talk about, it, but it's the thing that's closest to us. And the wisdom literature tells us that the world is coded in the glory of God and that the world is filled with all these things that point to the existence, that it is fused with the spirit of God. I've been reading this translation of the gospels where Sarah Rudin translates the Holy Spirit as the holy life breath. Think of that as we read Psalm 8 together. The world is coated with the Spirit of God. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens and out of the mouths of babes and infants. You built a wall because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, your hands, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them, yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them too with glory and honor. 
You've given them dominion over the works of your hands. You put all things under their feet, all the sheep and the oxen and the beasts of the field and the the Shetland sheepdogs, I might add. Though I I don't have a lot of dominion over him, if we're being honest. We could use a little more Psalm 8. Uh, The birds of the air, the fish of the seas, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. The Holy Spirit is present wherever there is beauty, whether it's in the skies or in a person. I love this, that that the psalm says, if you look at what the skies are, you see who people are also supposed to be. And whenever we see beauty, what we're seeing is the holy life breath. The Spirit of God is close. Uh, In her translation, you know, there's this phrase all over the Gospels that the kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of God has come near. And the way she translates that is that the kingdom of the skies has come close. And what we're supposed to understand as people of faith is that the hands that crafted those sunsets that we see along 71, the hand that made those sunsets that we try to capture inside of our tiny little box of a camera, that the hand that made those skies wants to rearrange us, wants to make us beautiful, that the hand that made the rivers and the mountains and the butterflies and everything that we find gorgeous in the world wants to turn that into love and joy and peace, patience, kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control in us. The kingdom of the skies wants to come near. There's this thing that I, I, I like just kind of thinking about Uh, I I don't spend a lot of time with astronauts, but anytime I look up astronauts, I find it kind of interesting. There's this thing called overview effect, that anybody who travels out to see Earth from space, that very often they see the world has, they have such an intense awe, and seeing the world from far away makes it hard for them to return and walk around on it that they've seen the biggest possible picture of what it means that we are dangling in space. And it happens so often that they had to give a name to it, so they call it overview effect. Uh, one of the astronauts who was on Apollo 11, Michael Collins, he says, he says it surprised him. He said, the earth projected an air of fragility. He said, I don't know, it was just this feeling. He said that the earth is tiny, shiny, beautiful, it's home, but it is fragile. And seeing it from the skies made it hard to walk around sometimes without that awe because it was so crushing and it was too beautiful to say. And what I think is that people of faith, people who follow Jesus are supposed to suffer from overview effect. That we're supposed to walk around in such awe that the world is so much more beautiful than it ever needed to be. That even when devastating things happen, beauty always has a way of rising to the surface. I've been fascinated uh, with this, uh, this piece this guy named James Chong wrote in a book called Real Life. And, you know, this series is about a thing called apologetics, right? How is it that people of faith answer for their faith? Uh, what are the things that we write in the exam book, right? Like, how do we talk to people who are not sure if there's any purpose or any God in the world? It's, it's, it's apologetics. And what he says is that you can see generational differences in the approach to apologetics. And again, you never want to make too much of these things, but I think it it pretty accurately describes 
maybe the people that we have in this room who were born in different years. He says, if you look at boomers, when it came to apologetics, what they wanted to know was what's true. And so you had people digging into archaeology and, and into the original languages, and you had people looking for what was true. And he says, when you get to that next generation, Generation X, this is me, we're, we're a smaller, less powerful generation. He said, our, our biggest question we were constantly asking is what's real? And then you get to, to the younger folks, to the millennials, he says, the giant question they're asking when it comes to belief or not belief, the question they're asking is what's good? It's why they want the church to make the world a, a gooder place. It's why they care about justice because they want to know what's good. And they tie the existence of God into what seems good. But what I, I just can't get out of my head is he says that the next question that younger people are asking, and we don't know what to, I don't know if we've decided what to call them yet. Some people are calling them Zoomers, which I think is, that's pretty good. I like that name. Um, whatever we decide to call those next folks, he says the giant question that they're asking more than anything else is what's beautiful. That they want a beautiful story. And here's what I love. One of the things we do with generations is like we pick the ones that are right and asking the best question. Those are all tremendously good questions. What's true? What's real? What's good? And what's beautiful? And if you had all the people in this room asking those different questions, I love that the answer is always going to be the story of Jesus. The answer is always going to be that a God made and holds and sustains the world, that that God had to come so close once that the spirit who is also that God that hovered over the waters at creation wants to come close to you. And it's true and it's good and it's real and it's beautiful. And I just want us to sit with that because what I hope is true is that we become the beautiful leaves in the exam booklet. That if somebody wants to know if God is real, that they'll know it by the way we are living our lives. And that they'll know it not just by us like doing the right thing, but that they'll notice that we think the story of God is beautiful. One of the reasons I, I started doing this, this podcast on the book of Acts is because I just really love that story. And I wanted to start there. And I want more people to hear that, that the story of God is fun and beautiful and alive. Another person I follow on Twitter is this young writer, uh, Caitlin Scheiss, and uh, she wrote this a few years ago, and I, I took a picture of it uh, with my phone because I wanted to remember it. She says, a professor choked back tears while reading scripture today. She says, this is what we students might need more than anything else. We need teachers who haven't lost their complete and total awe for the truth they are teaching but instead find themselves increasingly undone by it. And she's writing from a, a classroom environment, but I think you could say any young person, what they want is a parent who is undone by the grace of God. What they want is an adult to show them that, that the story of God still moves them. Again, we did this series because we believe in being curious people, in being people who read the books and know the facts and who could answer the essay question. But it's also incredibly valuable that we continue to be people who not only just find the story true and good and real, but that we find it beautiful. That it matters deeply if we fall in love with the story of a God who wanted so badly to be in good company with us that that God moved the skies and the waters around. 
that that God broke the universe to just get around a table with us, that that God walked around the world and loved his enemies, that that God walked towards a cross for us and beat death for us and woke up the next day and forgave everybody he saw, that that God wants to come close to us and rearrange us. Dostoevsky had one of his smartest characters and one of his characters who suffers the most say in his novel, beauty will save the world. And if this doesn't describe us yet, like maybe this is just a real, a good, fun idea, I want us to just kind of think about how we could become those people. And I think one quick and easy way that we could do today is just become people who are in the practice of regularly calling more things beautiful. And that we become the people who are the best at just paying attention. And that letting the world stop us in our tracks more often. And then not just stopping at calling the thing beautiful, but like paying attention to the source. If a meal is good, trace it back through its source. Trace it through all the farms it had to go through to get to you. Trace why is the world more beautiful than it needs to be. But I also believe as people of faith, we're also supposed to be making the world more beautiful. That we are supposed to be experts at making stuff and creating things and not just consuming things. And I don't know what that is. Maybe that's creating or making a company. Maybe that's creating, making a family or community or friendships. Maybe that's creating or making a good life. I don't know, maybe that's good words. Maybe you're an artist. Maybe you need to write music or, or tell that story or do that dance. I don't know. But I know that Christians are supposed to make things more beautiful than they used to be or that they need to be. I think there's a lot for us to learn from artists just about what it means to, to walk in faith. And I read this passage uh, from writer Ann Patchett. She's won a bunch of awards for writing books. And she was asked about writing. And what she said is that when she writes a novel, she has like this perfect picture of it in her brain, right? She has this perfect story in her imagination just sitting right above her head. And she says that when she goes from turning it into this perfect, ideal, award-winning story into something that's actually a Word document, that it involves killing something. She says that it's as if she is snatching a butterfly out of the sky and killing it and pinning it to the mat. And she says what she's had to do, because that can stop you, right? You want to just live with the ideal, keep it up in your brain where it's perfect. She says that what she's had to do is just to slay the ideal, and to practice forgiveness as she writes. To forgive herself for not being able to do it perfectly, but being able to do it well. And I don't know what you're imagining, if it's a company or a family or a neighborhood or making a perfect city or a perfect friendship, whatever you want to make perfect, some piece of art in the world, you have to forgive yourself as you make it, but you have to make it. I want to give us a couple more pictures here. One is I want to give you a brand new word. And the brand new word is angnumfungspunkt. Um, I, I imagine this word is new to most of us in the room. Angnumfungspunkt. Uh, you want to say it. You could try it for a while if you want. Ang, and go with me, okay? Angnumfungspunkt, right? Uh, I, a lot of you didn't try, and you're chickens. Um, <laughs> but I think you probably know this is a German word. I'm guessing you understand. This is a German word. There's no English equivalent to this word, but what I love about it, what it means is a point where God's revelation meets humanity's situation. It's a, it's a beautiful word. It might be a, a word for beauty, but it's something beyond beauty. It's a place where beauty 
meets us right where we are, where the revelation of who God is meets the thing that we need more than anything. That's beauty, and that's grace. We are going to celebrate communion here together. We haven't been able to do this as much, uh, but I want to tell one story about communion and a moment when I uh, have experienced uh, where the revelation of God met me uh, where I was, which was in a a church row. Uh, Over the last few years, I've been caring for my parents, uh, and I would take them uh, to their church and the church that I grew up in over in Columbus, And that church does uh, communion a little differently than we do here. We often have it at the end of the service. They do it right in the middle. And they have like quiet music kind of playing in the background as the the trays are passed. And you have like five or six minutes of quiet there uh, to just kind of hold the communion and to take it. And one of the things that happened as communion was being passed, after we took it together as a family, my mom, uh, in the throes of Alzheimer's, just started holding our hands. And I don't have any explanation for what there she is. She's my identical hand twin. Uh, and so I captured that before she passed away last, last year. And there's no explanation for why she did this. We never did this as a family. It was not muscle memory or anything like that. She just in, instinctively and impulsively, when communion was happening, would reach out and hold my dad's hand in, in one and hold my hand on the other. And... She could not have told you anything about what we were up to in communion. She couldn't have told you that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus sat around with his friends and he took the bread and he said to them, this is my body broken for you and you should think of me and remember me every time you take it. She couldn't have told you that he he poured out the wine and he said, I want you to drink this and also remember me and and to know that I'm never gonna have it again until I get to cheers it with you in heaven. She didn't have all, all the words for that. She just knew something beautiful was happening, something meaningful. And I have to tell you that for the rest of my life when I'm trying to figure out if there's really a God, I could read hundreds of books, but what I'm going to do is remember that for no reason. During communion, my mom held our hands. It was, it was the leaf in the exam book because she knew something meaningful was happening. She knew we were connected. And I think what she knew is that even as we were holding each other, we were being held What I love about Jesus' invitation to the table of communion is that he doesn't say, here's a long list of doctrines and ideas and I'd like you to just sign the bottom of this paper. He doesn't, it's not a legal transaction in any way. What he says is, here is a mystery. If you eat bread, I would like you to just remember my body that was broken for you and I'd like you to remember that someday we're gonna be around the table together again. And I want you to remember that you are being held and you are in good hands. And this is our, our invitation today, is to just sit with this. And I don't, I don't know what needs to be made a little more beautiful in your life, but we wanna make some room for that to happen. Uh, I wish that we had baked a whole bunch of fresh loaves of bread and we had wine that we'd kept in barrels for decades and we were, I wish it was a beautiful meal we were making for you. It's, it's, it's a little bit of styrofoam and a little bit of juice and, and that's actually kind of beautiful that it's, it's makeshift, right? It's not quite what it could be and maybe as you take it, you think about all the possibilities of, of what it could taste like, right? But the band's gonna play a really good song for us about beauty and roses and, and what God might be up to. Just let this moment 
be God working on you and, and be a, a point of revelation between who God is and where you are. We are in good hands. The band will play a song. You can take communion at any point you want and then we'll pray together at the end. Ever wonder what was on the mind of the maker When he turned all of our sorrow into fields of grace Right here in the middle of earth and heaven Caught between the romance and the pain can't you see that he must have known about the heartbreak long before us? He must have known about the mistakes and still he chose us. Planted a tree where he would die, thorns down the vine. And then he wore them, love is a blood red stain, the beauty that the pain exposes. Maybe that's why God made roses. Maybe that's why God made roses. God is in a whisper if you listen closely. Winter means that spring is just a breath away. Don't go any faster than this very moment. Sing a hallelujah in the pouring rain. Can't you see that he must have known about the heartbreak long before us? He must have known about the mistakes and still he chose us. Then he wore them, love is a blood red stain, beauty that the pain exposes, maybe that's why God made roses, maybe that's why God made roses, and just like petals fall into the ground, we fall into to the one whose resurrection here and now all things are made new and just like hands fall into the ground we fall into the one whose resurrection here and now all things are made new Chose us, planted a tree where he would 
If you grew up in church and ever tried to open up a mint, there's something beautiful about all the, the wrapping being opened all together and just the noise of the crinkling. It's kind of beautiful. There's a freedom in that in itself. Let's pray together as soulmate. Oh Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name all over this earth. You've set your glory above the heavens Somehow, with the sounds of babes and infants, you protect us against our foes. When we look at your heavens and the work of your hands, the moon and the stars that you hung in the air, what are we that you are mindful of us? What are we that you care for us? Here we are, just a little lower than God, crowned with glory and honor, with dominion over the things that we get to make, the things that are under our feet, the animals who walk beside us, everything that passes along the paths of the sea. God, help us to make the world as beautiful as you dreamed it could be. God, help our hearts to be as beautiful as you dreamed they could be. O Lord, our sovereign, make your name majestic all over the earth, in us and through us and by us too. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a beautiful day.